You're listening to Your Woo Woo Best Friend, a no BS approach to wellness, spirituality, manifestation, and all things mystical. Hello, it's Andy, and this is Your Woo Woo Best Friend. Welcome back to the show. I am officially back in my office today. We still had an episode drop last week and the week before. However, I've been a little bit out of office for the last two weeks because it was officially my wedding week two weeks ago. We got married on October 14th, 10 days ago as I record this intro for this episode. And oh, I have so many things I could share. It was really beautiful. I'll start with that. And I want to talk a little bit about intentionality in big life events. No matter what you're doing, whether it's planning a wedding, starting a family, launching a new business, considering a passion project, sharing your art with the world, intentionality is so important. It's such a key to creating joy and happiness in how we're living our lives. I was talking this morning to Samantha on our team, and we were talking about this framework called the Regret Minimization Framework. And the idea is, consider, is what I'm doing right now, is how I'm approaching this thing, whatever it is that you're working on, whether it's planning a wedding or doing something in your business or how you're showing up in your career, whatever it is, your relationships, all of the stuff, so important. Whatever it is, will you look back in future at this moment and feel proud of what you were up to, feel joy a second time as you revisit the memory, or will you have regret about the way you approached it? As Ben and I were planning our wedding, a few things that I was considering that I did not want to have regrets around. One thing was how we spent our money. That money is our money, and it is a resource for us to do whatever we wish to do in our lives. And we were not interested in breaking the bank by putting on a wedding that was above and beyond the budget that we felt comfortable with. So that was one of the things in the regret minimization framework that we were in deep consideration of was our budget and how we were going to spend money for our wedding. Our energy and the people that we were intending to surround ourselves with. We did not want to have a wedding that there was any possibility of drama, of people not being there for the real reason of celebrating a loving, joyful experience. And that meant we kept our guest list really small. And we are planning to have a party next year where we will celebrate with more friends and family. But it felt so intimate because it is. It's such an intimate moment. And surely everyone has a different opinion about how to approach something like a guest list. And by no means am I saying mine is the right way. It just was the right way for us. We did not want to feel like we couldn't be fully, wholly, authentically ourselves because we would be entertaining folks that aren't truly there for the experience of just being with us. And there was a lot of people that we couldn't invite that would have been there for us because of the decision we made to keep the budget and the guest list so small. 
And we know that when we have a party in the future, we'll get to spend more time with those people. But we found that having this really small, intimate group of people surrounding us, every moment just felt so special. And a couple of things that I'll share that were even more special than I could have even imagined. One of those things was the flowers. So I went back and forth on whether or not I should hire a florist. And flowers are expensive. Flowers are also so beautiful when they're done by a florist. And I was really open to the idea of perhaps creating bouquets myself with some help, with the help of some friends and family members. So I ended up deciding the flowers didn't have to be absolutely perfect, but what I wanted the flowers to do was tell a story. So my mom and I went to the flower district in Los Angeles, which is a whole treat in itself. This was my mom's very first time visiting L.A., We have not spent a ton of time together in our adult lives, and we're really starting to have a renewed connection as two adult women, which feels really important and timely at this point in my life. And so I invited my mom to come with me to the wholesale market, just the two of us. We went, and that experience alone, she said it was one of the best parts of her entire trip. She was here with me for a week. She loved that so much. So there was already this story of she and I choosing the flowers together. And then two of my best girlfriends, Keiko and Elsie, helped me to create the bouquets. I mean, truly, they did the whole thing. I shared my vision of what I wanted the bouquets to look like and what I wanted the centerpieces for the reception to look like, what I wanted the altar vases to look like. We got married on the beach, and then we set up a beautiful farm table with flowers on the table, I kind of gave them my big picture vision and then they brought it to life. And they were creating these arrangements in the home that we rented to get ready in and to stay in for the weekend. So while I was getting ready for the wedding, getting hair and makeup done, those two women were in the kitchen putting the flowers together. And it just felt really, for me, it felt so joyful. Like there was just this deep intentionality about how we were incorporating the flowers into the wedding. And so that was one example of how we really considered the budget and how we considered the intentionality of the creation process of what we were going to share at the wedding, and then also bringing these really important people into the experience in this very intimate way. Another thing we thought a lot about was the guest book. Ben and I had been looking for a guest book. They all kind of felt the same to us. And so we decided to put together a guest book that would be Polaroid pictures with messages written next to the Polaroid pictures. I assigned my sisters, who were my bridesmaids for the wedding, that responsibility. And so it was really fun for them because throughout the weekend, they were taking pictures with the Polaroid cameras and putting them into the guest book. And then the night of the reception, they took the guest book around to everyone and had them write their note next to their picture inside of the guest book. And it was this fun activity that was going on, a really special and sweet activity that was going on throughout the reception. And my sisters did such a beautiful job of curating it. And it's something that Ben and I will always have to look back on as a really wonderful memory from the whole weekend too. So whether it's a wedding that you might be planning or just something in your life, really consider that regret minimization factor. How will I feel about this when I look back on this 
in the future and I consider this moment? How did I spend my time? How did I invest my money? Who did I surround myself with? How did I use my energy? And what did success really look like for me in the moment? These are the things that I'm going to keep considering as I work on other things in my life outside of this wedding planning. Let this wedding planning be an analogy for you if this is not on your radar right now. These are ideas that you can apply to anything you have going on in your life. We have a show guest today. I'm going to introduce you to her in just a moment. Before we get there, I want to remind you we have been on a review drive. I think we're well over 100 reviews at this point. As you know, thus far, this show has been a self-funded show. We are coming to the close of season two. We'll be launching season three in January. And I am happy to share with you that we have our first official sponsor who I will be introducing you to in a coming episode. We would love to have more funding for the show coming in season three. And one of the ways that we do that is by getting more reviews. The more people that know about this show, the more people that you can pass the show along to as well, that definitely helps. But in those podcast algorithms, the more reviews that Apple Podcasts and Spotify see coming in, the more likely it is that they will recommend this show to new listeners. We have a couple of new reviews that I want to share with you. The first one is from C. Allen. 060512. Absolutely love this podcast. It is always exciting and inviting into her journey. I always enjoy them. Another review from Bertie Belleville. I regularly listen to this podcast and really enjoy the fun and lighthearted conversations around transformational practices for a life well lived. Highly recommend. And it says the title is Uplifting and Inspiring. Thank you, Birdie. And then from Jordan Laurel, it says, Love Andy. Andy is a magical human. Her sweet energy shines through her podcast, which is always jam packed with lots of wisdom. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts and for sharing this podcast with those that you love. It means the world to me. Now, let's meet our show guest today. Meet Rachel White. She is the skeptical shaman. She is here to blend real world pragmatism with her sense of humor and ancient tools and techniques into her practice as a trained shaman, a medium, an energy practitioner, an author, and a flower essence maker. Rachel spent two decades in a high level corporate role. She was the head of innovation for a global publicly traded corporate real estate firm and On the side, she was building her company, Totem, while working full-time. We're going to talk today about being skeptical and spiritual at the same time, about strengthening your intuition as a life skill. We're going to talk about the science behind the woo. We are going to talk about how to really attract real abundance. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Rachel White, the Skeptical Shaman. Hey there, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So thrilled to have you here and ready to get into this really interesting life path. You spent about two decades in high-level corporate roles. You were a senior VP, a head of innovation for a globally public 
traded company. And I'm so curious how you built Totem while occupying such a demanding role in that other space that you were living in. Well, it's it's twofold, really. One is, and I, I tell my coaching clients this, I have a spiritual transformation coaching program, which is the best way to learn is to do at a certain point. Like there's only so many workshops you can take, certifications you can get, books you can read. And when you start working with humans, I think the learning and development just expands exponentially. So if you want to keep developing, you have to kind of start doing. And for a long time, it was just tarot readings. You know, I kept it simple. I'd been reading tarot since I was a kid, literally Mm. a child. So that was an easy space where I had some confidence while I built the other things. And then um, in terms of balancing it with work, it, it wasn't a sacrifice. People always go like, how did you manage it? Mm -hmm. honestly, if you're working seven straight days a week, 18 hours a day in corporate, you have a problem. Like you're going to have a heart attack. I had a couple of minor strokes when I was 31. There's only so much you can do in a, in a corporate job. And I didn't like doing the same stuff other people did on my weekends. You know, I lived in downtown Chicago. A lot of my friends, it was always kind of brunch, drinking, someone's having a baby shower, you know what I mean? And not that those things are great, but they get those are activities where I don't know you get a lot back. And so mm-hmm. what I would do is Friday evenings and Saturdays, I would do tarot readings, psychic sessions. And as my kit of parts grew, I would do more things with clients. And then I secured an additional meditation space, like just purely commercial space. So Sundays we did workshops, we did yoga or whatever. And I frankly would just rather spend my weekend doing that anyway. You know, it gives, mm-hmm. it gives you energy for the rest of your week. And I think something's pivoted in the last few years, especially with COVID, where the side hustle used to be viewed as a risk. And now Mm -hmm. I think it's people are seeing that it's a hedge. It's actually a pragmatic hedge Mm -hmm. against, you know, the volatile marketplace. Employers aren't that loyal anymore. There's no such thing as you worked for 20 years at GM and now, you know, they take care of you. Um, it's, It's really the churns up there. So having something else that you love that you have energy for, that you're willing to work hard for. I think it's it's a good idea, honestly. Yeah, I so agree. And it doesn't mean when you're doing that side hustle at the beginning that you're even considering turning it into a business. You're doing yeah, it wasn't. because you love it. Yeah. yeah. But you have to structure it and you have to charge people. Otherwise, mm-hmm. things kind of come apart. <laughs> um, you know, I have friends that are really well-meaning and they'll occasionally forget what it's like when you offer a free class or a free whatever. Mm -hmm. And who shows up and how disruptive they are. And, you know, the adage, no good deed goes unpunished. So treating your own practice with a bit of respect and structuring it, I think informs how other people approach you, too. And I've only ever gotten the, the best clients. I mean, I joke all the time that Totem exists and has the reputation it has because of the clients I've had. They're wonderful people. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know that you're getting, you're getting, you're attracting what you're putting out. Yeah. So you're you're calling in the exact people that you want to work with. Yeah, and even little things like there's no walk-ins. I never did that sort of fortune teller lady thing where you can walk in and it's appointment only. There's no same day appointments even for existing clients. Just the energy of that is too crazy for me. I like to, mm-hmm. you know, know what my Saturday looks like, you know, take a couple hours, decompress, relax cuz psychic work really requires you're in a certain vibration and just give it give it its respect across mm-hmm. the sort of cycle. Yeah. So you were reading tarot when you were a kid. Tell me what you were yeah. like as a child. Well, that's a that's a whole that could be a whole series of podcasts because <laughs> I I had mentally ill 
drug addicted, you know, fairly abusive parents. So, mm-hmm. you know, the running joke is like there's no no psychic or comedian had a normal childhood because it just doesn't mm-hmm. produce the kind of weird you need for either stand up comedy or doing this work, I think. Um, and so as a kid, I was just an adult. Um, I'm actually working very hard on inner child work and slowing down and giving myself elements of a childhood I didn't really have. And I'm a cancer and, you know, you'll read about cancer children. They're like, they're very serious. You know, they don't really like have a lot of fun, especially the male cancers. I've heard I have a few clients of male cancer toddlers and they're like brooding as toddlers, which I think is really funny. (laughs) So, yeah, I just I loved anything where I could go inward. And have you seen The Queen's Gambit on Netflix by any chance? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a masterpiece. And I'm not a genius, but when she was describing what it felt like to look at a chessboard and there's 64 squares and that's it and everything's predictable and it's sort of like this environment in which you can exist outside of everyone else's chaos. I think that's sort of what tarot was for me. It's 78 cards you know, and it's like these archetypes, numbers, things that you you understand and that provide you a little bit of clarity, I would say, in a lot of chaos. What was your very first tarot deck? Honestly, I can't even believe this is true, but it is the Osho deck. You know, that goddamn wild, wild country cult guy. <laughs> yep. so, someone brought them home because um, my dad had pr- a printer as a client at work. And I don't know exactly what he was doing at the time. But he had like playing cards, like baseball cards, and then the Osho deck. So when I saw Wild Wild Country a few years ago, my mind was blown. Because I you still like, have oh, that deck. Shit. Oh, yeah, shit. Oh, shit. He had a sex <laughs> call. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember like quoting him on Instagram like back in the day and was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, cool. I was, I've been quoting a sex cultist. Great. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's pretty rough. But there's a lot of that, you know, it, there's all this weird in the space. And I had a client the other day from Europe talk about how much she loved Aleister Crowley. And that was also an early deck I had, was the Toth tarot deck. Mm-hmm. Aleister Crowley was an overt Satan worshiper and pedophile, you know? And it's there's all this rough underbelly to the spiritual world, which when I got into it, I was shocked. Like everything, I, I'm sort of naive because leaving corporate, I was like, oh, this is where the nice people are because they all do energy work and mm-hmm. they must do their own work and everyone's on the up and up and it it kind of came out of nowhere. So I'm learning yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And don't you find that, well, and you kind of spoke to this in the comedian and psychic thing, spiritual people, when they, in order to tap deeply into their spirituality, many times have gone through incredibly dark experiences in order to get there. And so sometimes really spiritual people can also still have quite a, quite a bit of that darkness within them that can manifest depending on what they're up to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark Vicente does a lot of work around this topic. He's one of the whistleblowers and survivors from Nexium. So if you've ever Mm -hmm. seen the vow on HBO, And I believe he's working on a film project around spiritual narcissism, like Mm -hmm. covert narcissism. And you're so right. Like if you're really spiritual and really talented, but you haven't done your own work, like there's a little bit of hubris there maybe, or maybe your psychic abilities or energy work give you shortcuts to human things. It's not good. You know, that Teal Swan documentary is something everyone should watch. Because I think she's a naturally gifted psychic and healer, but she's just an absolute malignant narcissist. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important to do your research before you get involved, before you find yourself in a cult, before you find yourself in a place that you're now taking guru guidance. And I'm for those that obviously can't see me, you guys are listening. (laughs) I'm I'm using air quotes as I'm saying guru guidance before you find yourself in that in that space. Really check into who you're about to be hanging out with and listening to. And Rick Ross is like the cult expert. So he runs the cult recovery agency. It's a nonprofit. He's got a great website. He's written a book, which is an encyclopedia of cults. And I I read it a couple of years ago and he had a whole chapter on you only need two people to have a cult. And a lot of like just abusive domestic violence dynamics have cult, you know, criteria that they're meeting. And likewise, you could have a psychic energy healer that you work with And just because there aren't other people in your meetings doesn't mean it's not a cult. Doesn't mean it's not an MLM, a multi-level marketing scheme or any of these other Mm -hmm. things. And it's pretty terrible how rampant it is. And, you know, people like me or I have a good friend, Roger, who's an energy worker, very talented, very sincere. I know great practitioners. All of us in our community suffer um, because of that behavior. So I go out of my way with my clients. I'm like, if you have a question, you ask me. If someone doesn't want to answer your questions, they get defensive. There's a problem. Like whatever you need to talk about, I'm happy to be transparent. If I don't know something, I just say I don't know. That's another big red flag is if someone never says, you know what? I don't know. That's an interesting question. (laughs) It's like, do you know, are you omniscient? That's something. Yeah. Yeah. You had a client say in a Yelp review that you're like the Amy Schumer of shamanic practitioners, which sounds super fun. So what's it like (laughs) to work with you? So it's, it's not doom and gloom. I'm not big on that. So I don't do the thing. You know, I've had a lot of clients come to me after bad experience where someone told them they had a blockage or a curse. You're never going to have a baby. I need extra money for candle, you know, all that stuff. So I don't do that. That's not how I read my own cards. I look at it as psychic data. Like, so you log into a reporting system and you have a dashboard. It's my client's dashboard. So we go through, what does this mean? Past, present, future, people, places, activities, work, love. And I view like a tarot reading specifically as an empowerment activity. So it's not, it's not all about like, this is what's set in stone. It's like, these are things coming. These are resources coming for you to use. This is your energy right now so that they can make some free will choices to navigate life in an optimal way for them. I really believe spirit wants you to have your own achievements. You know, like I have spirit guides. They don't give me the lottery numbers. It's not how it works. They want me to develop and grow. And it's about if I exert a certain amount of effort or I have a little bit of discipline or I, I really work towards a goal, then that achievement is mine solely. And, and it, there's a different feeling to that. So Um, I tend to try and use metaphor, break things down, make them nice and simple. So I don't do the whole like hard to understand woo thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of Mark Twain. So I try and keep it like common sense and basic. And here's what I'm seeing. And I would say the other piece is this stuff is funny. You know, I have a great client. Um, She's a long term client. I read for this past weekend. She had some challenging cards. And her attitude was so great. And I was just like, how do you do this? She's like, It's been this way for years. So my clients also inspire me with their sense Mm -hmm. of humor and their resilience. Like they're funny. Sometimes it's, sometimes the sad story or the challenging thing you're looking at, you laugh about it and you get a little catharsis from that too. What do you do in the case of having cards that come up that are challenging and 
the person who's having the experience. And I'm asking for those that are listening that are like, I get a little freaked out about even having my cards read because I'm afraid that will happen. How do you, how do you help someone to process through that? That doesn't have the same attitude that that particular client has. Well, from the jump, I'll level set during a tarot reading. So I go, Hey, listen, I'm not doom and gloom. This isn't scary. You know, I kind of like deescalate the energy if they've never had a tarot reading. And I I'll ask just to understand where we're at in our shared nomenclature and expectations mm-hmm. of the session. And then if they go, Oh my God, what does that mean? You know, some, let's say they get five of swords. I go, Hey, here's the deal. It's not the end of the world. You know, you're here's what's not here. So I'll also focus on the absence of other bad news. I'm like, so you have someone around who's a gossip or might envy you at work who maybe engages in negative speech. Maybe you've had a sense about it and you were like, well, but I don't know why I don't like that person. It's just letting you know you're not crazy. Mm-hmm. That maybe you don't like that person, you get bad vibes and there's a, there's a good reason for it. So here are some tangible things you can do. In the case of Five of Swords, I'll, I'll always advise them to remove access someone may have like a negative person to them via social media as a start like just Mm -hmm. separate that don't give the fire any oxygen kind of a thing you're not obligated to show any part of your life to everybody take some salt baths and and just keep it moving and and if anything know that your intuition's probably on because usually if we start talking about five of swords someone will go I think I know who that is I think I know what that is you're like yeah you're not crazy so just keeping it low stakes, right? Um, there are times when a reading like this past weekend, thank God it was the client it was where it's really going to be an SHIT show, <laughs> you know, for want of a better term, you know, the tower card, the 10 of swords, three of swords. I mean, all of these were in there. And I yeah, was like, my like, God. Okay. What's happening here? Yeah, yeah. And I, but here, even with the tower card, I said, listen, odds are work's going to get restructured. I said, the economy, we're in a recession, you know, these things are happening. I said, you know, let it happen. Get a golden parachute. And here's what else you do. And just know it's it's sort of beyond your control. So why borrow trouble? Mm-hmm. Why worry about it if if it's inevitable? Because Ten of Swords and, and Tower, like the events already happened. It just hasn't manifested materially. Some people in a conference room made a decision already. Um, and within chaos is a lot of opportunity. And the other thing I'll ask, like I did this week, I'm like, do you, do you like this job? And I'm like, no, of course not. <laughs> so I was like, all right, then you're getting out of prison, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're breaking out of something that you don't even really want to hang out and spend time in. You're just getting a little push to do it. Yeah. When, okay. It's, it's, you likely, because it's who you're attracting, you've got clients that are entrepreneurs. You've got clients that are in high level roles in business. How can the folks listening begin to incorporate shamanic tools, technologies, and practices into their life when applying it to business specifically? Well, it's funny. So I use tarot for business. I know that's irresponsible, but I do. I don't use it to make huge decisions in a vacuum. It's a factor. It's like a data point I take in. So I'll pull a card if I'm making a decision. And sometimes I'll pull a card for like, if I take this route versus this route and just get a rough order of magnitude vibe of what that looks like. Um, The other piece of it is abundance energy work and manifestation work. They are real, but that's one of those areas where there's a lot of like fraud and nonsense out there with people. I know I have friends that literally joined what's akin to an abundance cult where they're paying into a thing and they get together every week on Zoom and they say an abundance prayer and they vision board and nothing happens. 
So there's a happy balance between that. What I would say is on full moons, I tend to write out within reason what I'm hoping to manifest, right? Mm -hmm. And I ask my guides for help with that because full moons are a great day to, to bring things in, to grow things versus new moons where we release things, shed things that don't serve us anymore. Um, I try to write it out in a super experiential way. So if there's something I'm asking for help in, I explain why. And then I explain like what net positive thing I'm going to do if I get that, like what that's going to enable me to do. Always bearing in mind that I need to be of service, that it's not just selfish or whatever, and, and give them a real tactical response to like, okay, if we help her, what are we in spirit getting for our trouble, right? That has never failed. It is uncanny. It's bizarre. And so I'll save what I wrote and the next full moon I read it. It is consistently shocking to me how much of that has manifested. And you don't even really notice it for whatever reason. It's, it's funny how we have such a forward-looking bias, like what's mm -hmm. next, what's next, instead of chilling out and being like, oh, I got a thing done. That's great. And enjoying that for a moment. So I'm working on that. The other, other thing I would say for busy people, and I was just emailing someone about this this morning, um, is flower essences. So I used to think they were nonsense. I was like, oh, it's such placebo effect, whatever. And a friend gave me Bach Rescue Remedy, and sh things really shifted for me. So I stopped taking it to see, and sure enough, it, it went back to where it was before. And so I've been taking them and, and telling clients about them for years, and then the last year or so, I've started growing and making them, mainly mm -hmm. because my habit's getting expensive. It's like, if I could make crystals, then I'd be set. Those are my, those are my biggest <laughs> expense items every month. And the process of making them has been absolutely amazing. What I love about them is it's not constant psychotherapy. It's not a retreat in Bali. You know, it doesn't require a huge amount of financial or time investment to get a return on investment. Just a couple of drops every day. And really, if you focus on what you need and you're honest with yourself about it, your energy body totally responds in kind. Totally. Like the mint one behind me, I, I started taking it last winter after, by the way, everyone else took it. I'm always the last time. I'm like, oh, why don't I take it? Within two days, I was too busy. Like it went from being kind of dead to being mm -hmm. like corporate clients wanting consulting work, writing to totem clients, to everything. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like I'll have to be mindful of when I take this. Because you know how it is if you don't have capacity and you end up telling everybody no, they may not ask you next time. Sure. So sure. I had a I had a real moment where it's like, oh my God, when it rains it pours. Not complaining, but note to self, this really freed up that manifestation energy for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're ready to take on more, you know, okay, I can go right back into this again and here's yes. how I can get it going. Hilariously, at the same time I started taking the time one made out of time. And I was like, can we like, am I like bending time space to accommodate all the work? I was like taking both of them. It was hilarious. I don't recommend yeah. that by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's you're experimenting on yourself before you recommend it to others. So. Completely. And, and it's part of why people go, well, do I have to do a consultation? I really only do that with new clients because existing clients get it. They know what they are. They've been using them, but I go, yeah. And there's a reason, which is they work like they're pretty powerful. So it's important. We have a conversation so you understand like what you're getting, because I didn't, I was naive and I made them. So trying to help you out. But the other side of it is I put real plant matter in them, the way that I make them, there's a little bit of it. 
people have all kinds of allergies. So just making sure that we're cool, that you understand it's made of nasturtium and you're not allergic mm-hmm. to that and being mindful of that. My husband's a chef. So the food allergy topic, you know, I was like, that's a thing I need to think about. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And keep people, keep people well. Make sure and there's a little good. bit of alcohol in any flower essence. Bach you know, uses brandy. I use Everclear, which is like a, just a pure grain alcohol. And even though it's infinitesimal and you're not going to get drunk, catch a buzz, anything. Some people are in a stage of their recovery where they're, they don't want it in a dessert or anything, even in small quantities. So just, you know, it, I might be over erring on the side of caution, but yeah, I try and keep an eye on that stuff. Important. Definitely yeah. important. You've been called the skeptical shaman for the spiritually curious person. How do we be both skeptical and spiritual at the same time? I think you have to be both. I think if you're spiritual and you don't have any discernment, that can get squishy, you know, because you're dealing with things you don't see, right? Mm -hmm. So boundaries, discernment, um, judgment, not in the negative sense, but using good judgment is crucial in any psychic or energetic practice. But also, you know, skepticism is what brought me to shamanism not the other way around. You know, I used to be, as I joke, like a good little atheist. And then I had questions, those questions weren't getting answered. And the driving force of that curiosity is like a skepticism of, yeah, but something's going on here. So what is this? Like, why aren't we talking about this? And then in terms of navigating the the human landscape of shamanism or spirituality more broadly, be skeptical. You know, always look for people who overpromise right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't make health claims about these essences on my website. Do they use herbs that are good for you? Yeah. Like echinacea. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, and there's real echinacea in there, but I don't over assert possibilities. Like I had to fire someone in my space in Chicago was going to do a Reiki attunement because she was uh, telling my clients, they all came to me at once that you can cure COVID with Reiki remotely and Mm. you can send it to other parts of the world and cure COVID. And I'm like, I just, that's so irresponsible. Um, And I just can't have it around me. And also, there's no way that she's not thinking that that's going to help her business. Sure. Yeah. There's all kinds of interesting stuff out there. Yeah. Okay. So back to this cult idea. How do you know if you have found your way into a cult accidentally and you need to you need to get the hell out? Well, there's a there's a few red flags. One is financial. So I don't do anything resembling an MLM structure. Everything I do, like I make my flower essences. People sell them in their store, but we just fee split. You know, like I don't have a street team. You don't get a certification and then you can go train people in the totem way. Like all of those other means of making money. Sometimes it's legitimate, but it's something to really look into if you're noticing it. Um, Like I got approached recently. Someone wanted to pay me for client referrals. Like they wanted my clients. I'm like, no, I can't have a profit motive in any area of my business except an equal exchange of goods or services, right? Of something of equal value. Like that's it. Um, The other piece is I don't like the anxiety inducing fear encouraging stuff, um, the poking at weaknesses or creating fear. And I share clients or I shared past tense clients with a few other practitioners and I would consistently sort of have to get involved when they were in a spiral because someone told them they had a Mm -hmm. demonic entity attached to them. And they didn't, by the way. One of them, I lived in her building. I'm like, you live in my building. You think I wouldn't, I'm a shaman. You think I don't know there's a demon in the hallway? 
coming to visit? Come on, you know, like, and it's all to get services or to, you know, it's sort of classic crappy selling to create fear mm-hmm. and then be the one to offer the solution. It's very Trump, right? Like I'm here to help yeah. and keep an eye on that. A, a spiritual practitioner shouldn't be lying to you to make you feel good, but they also shouldn't be terrifying you. Like spirituality in general doesn't operate that way. I'm not in fear all the time. Like I'm pretty safe and happy, you know, and if anything, generating fear, those lower vibration energies, it's the worst thing you can do if you want to avoid something negative, right? Like that's putting chum in the waters and hoping to not find sharks. Um, And then the other thing is, is um, just how they are with your giving you guidance. So I frustrate my clients a lot more, I think, than most other practitioners because they'll say, well, what should I do? And I go, I can't make that decision for you. Like, I can't. You know, at a certain point, this is your life. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a therapist, not a doctor. I'm a tarot card lady. I'm a shaman, right? I can just give you what I'm looking at and you can synthesize it. I can tell you what I would do, you know, but that's me. I'm different from you. So someone who's, who's, getting into the details and telling you, you have to break up with your boyfriend, you have to quit this job, or you have to, you have to, all those declarative statements, that's a big red flag. Um, Nexium, that cult as an example, for anyone who's watched The Vow on HBO, and if you haven't, please do. It's an extraordinary show. Um, but they, their whole life was managed by their coaches, right? It was mm-hmm. a personal development program. And these coaches were doing, you know, couples therapy, with them, but they also had a profit motive and cert, like it was so manipulative and weird. And yeah, I would just say to any program where there's levels and you can get trained and then go make money, understand that that's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, the first people in do really well and nobody else does well. Yeah. Yeah. I remembered being in a course years ago. This was probably like 2016, 2017. And the woman that running that was running it, I I th- I think at the time she had really good intention and had a real gift and was sharing was sharing what had worked for her and it blew up really quickly. It was like within a year of me taking it, I saw that it was like she had hundreds of thousands of people taking her course and there was wow. two things that I noticed that made me very concerned. I was skeptical about. I had gone through I had gone through the course when I had a great experience. Yeah, I also have a lot of tools at my at the ready to support me as I'm moving through things. But there were two things that she said that just totally freaked me out as I saw hundreds of thousands of people taking her course. And one was that you have to have rock bottoms before good things can happen. And I was like, oh my, like I heard that when she was teaching it, when I was taking it and kind of took it as with a grain of salt it was like, yeah. well, you know, like sure that can happen, but you don't absolutely have to have that. So that was one thing. And that before good things or before you manifest, before something great comes to you, you have to sit in some sort of pretty low darkness, like bad things have to occur before the good things occur. And so I saw all these women running around taking this course, hundreds of thousands of women that are like, I'm having a rock bottom and I'm sitting in the dark and it's everything is terrible, but that's okay. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I was like, "Mm." This so feels there was a, a little scary. A lot of that in Nexium as well. Mm. And that's a big part of Teal Swan's work. If you've seen The Deep End, which is oh, the name yeah. of the series on her, it's a documentary mm-hmm. series on Hulu. She goes, I only work with people that are out of options and they're desperate. And I'm like, yeah. massive red flag. 
Um, so most shamans, you know, et cetera, we've had weird lives, but we don't sit in it. And I certainly would not at my old age and as tired as I am, want to cultivate another rock bottom if I can avoid it. Generally, yeah. you know, you have hard experiences, you learn from them. And those learnings help equip you to avoid pitfalls in the future, live in a few more best practices. Over time, you as an individual should be gaining equilibrium, particularly a spiritual practice. Yes, do uncomfortable things come up sometimes for people? Yeah, like in the coaching program, one of my clients um, who was in it earlier this year realized some things after a meditation about her family. And they weren't like super dark. It was just like a little emotionally rough, like, oh, like, I don't think my sister or whatever it was likes me that much, like really seeing the relationship and the dynamic over time. But mm -hmm. that moment of like an icky feeling, you should immediately come out of that and go, you know what? And here's what I'm going to do now. I'm not going to feel as obligated to spend as much time with her because it makes me feel bad. And mm -hmm. that should be a happy, constructive feeling. Like the yeah. negative thing should really be a blip. You shouldn't sit in it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, you know, I, I've had things happen this year that I think in other parts of my life, I would have said, oh, this is a rock bottom. But now I've got the, yeah. I've got the ability to move through things, to process, to feel, know that my feelings are valid, know that what happened is real, and then move forward. And well, people are much more manageable and malleable if you kind of break them down first. Yeah. And one of the things they did in Nexium was, you know, not for everybody, by the way, a lot of people at the outside of it got a lot of benefit, right? And mm -hmm. I think it also changed over time. It, like it veered as the leader became more pathological, but they managed people's food. Like everyone was a vegetarian, no Ooh. one drank. Like, so there's, um, there's a lot of cult education websites. Rick Ross's is great. I have no affiliation with him. I just think it's all very objective. And there's a list of things to look for on what's called a high control group. Mm. So are you like financially involved with this spiritual group now? Is this how you make your living, right? Mm -hmm. Like how enmeshed or codependent are you? Um, are they taking things away from you, breaking you down psychologically in your relationships, professional, personal, and then are they managing your intake of food or your sleep? Mm. And these are all things to, to look out for. And it's, by the way, exploding because of the shrinking economy and social media. Yeah. So everybody who can't seem to make things work outside of the spiritual space is coming to this to kind of sell their wares, sell memberships, sell workshops, and give yeah. you a promise that if you follow them and you do these things, you can, you can be successful like them too. Um, it's a big problem right now. Yeah. Yeah. Most shamans, yeah. by the way, we're not that friendly. Like we're <laughs> not out there really shilling. We, 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 we're not intensely extroverted. Right. So the other thing to maybe look for is someone who, who's not thirsty. It's usually a good sign. Ooh, that's so good. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. And even in that experience of the course that I was telling you about, there there became a point where she was prescribing very specific diets. Mm -hmm. You had to join the membership and you and the reason you had to join the membership was there was going to be these new hypnoses that you would get every month. Ooh. And if you didn't get the new one, then you weren't going to be able to continue to progress in your work. And mm -hmm. I was watching it go down and I was like, mm, when I took this course, it was like a four week course. And it was like, I got my yeah. stuff and I got in, got out, took what I wanted and left what was not for me. And now it was like a year or two later, it was like, and you have to eat this diet and you have to do these hypnosis every, every day. The and hypnosis have, thing like, is another major red flag. So yeah. I was going to go to a retreat and they had a quote shaman who's going to do hypnosis. I'm like, not on me. 
And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. I go, you wouldn't know if it wasn't because it's your subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Nexium, Keith Ranieri and Nancy Salzman, she was a hypnotherapist. She was a certified clinician and they used it constantly. So, you know, the problem with your subconscious mind is you're not conscious of what's changed right. in there. So, yeah, I even a certified doctor who does hypnotherapy. Have you seen that story? They made a show with Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd called The Shrink Next Door. Oh, yeah. 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 Like even someone who has a medical board overseeing them can mm-hmm. get in there and, and you end up living in the coach house mowing his lawn. He's living at your house in the Hamptons. <laughs> yeah. 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 All things to watch out for and be aware of when you're making these types of decisions. Okay. Yeah. So I'd love to talk about the science behind the woo. Obviously the show is called your woo woo best friend. And yeah. I believe there is so much science and technology yes. in this magic. Can you talk a little bit about the intersection of science and the woo? Yeah, my favorite example of this is crystals, because like flower essences, when I first started in this, I was like, I don't really understand the whole crystal thing. And I think all I remembered was, do you remember the hills with Spencer Pratt? Of course. When he was like melting down, he was covered in crystals. And his friend Charlie was like, you're nuts. Like that was my vision of a crystal person at the time. And then started using them. I was like, oh, there's there's something to this. Like you really feel something. You hold a brand new let's just say quartz crystal in your hand, you can feel that it has a vibration. And what blew my mind was learning that what's in these telephones and these computers and the Pentium processors is quartz crystal, that all of the minerals we mine for our technology devices are the same minerals that we use in crystal form for various healing activities. So quartz crystal in a computer stores, translates, amplifies, accelerates data transfer. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't it do that to a human biocomputer as well. We have an electromagnetic field. That's why, um, you know, what do they call those? Pacemakers work mm-hmm. by echocardiograms work, you know, because we we have electricity and we have a magnetic field as well. So that's just like my favorite. The fact that Silicon Valley is named after silica crystals that are used in computer manufacturing, I think says it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, there's so much you can, you can uncover when you really start to look at the science of our own human energy, the science of what we consider to be um, magic that we can't understand. There's actually a lot of understanding that can be found. And mainstream science is catching up to things like ayahuasca, plant medicines, mushrooms, DMT, Mm -hmm. and how they can cure addiction. They can abate drug withdrawal if an addict wants to come off of using a substance. Um, Ron White, who's a comedian who lives here, was just famous for being a party animal and drinking. And he had this revelation one day, went to go do ayahuasca, as he calls it, mother ayahuasca, which trust me is not his vibe. It's changed him quite a bit. He's still funny though. He never drank again. He never got the shakes. Mm -hmm. He never went through withdrawal because it just helped him. And he saw that a big part of why he was drinking is he, he wasn't forgiving himself for certain shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And when you take a plant medicine, you'll get that objective view into yourself. It's super powerful. And now Michael Pollan, I'm reading his book, Your Mind on Plants. Um, And these are things shamans have known for thousands of years. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me about the totem deck and the flower essences. You have both available on the website. I do. Yeah. So the flower essences are really fun. These these guys behind me, I actually hand bottle all of them. And it's my little break from work that's not tangible. 
Like, it's a great way for me to relax. I know that sounds silly, but you know, you just listen to podcasts or, you know, whatever, and just sit there and make them. Um, so the flower essences are big too. So if you go on the website, you notice they're $50, they're two ounces. Most are a quarter of an ounce when you go mm-hmm. out on the, on the interwebs to shop for them. And then the totem tarot deck, this bad boy, self-published. Um, it's, it's a real labor of love that I created with a good friend and client. Her name's Emma Cook. So Amazon, the, uh, the listing on Amazon. And so, yeah, the Totem Tarot deck's available on Amazon. I love it. I just felt like, you know, the world needed a new Rider weight deck. Mm-hmm. Like it was simple. It has a little booklet like that, but it's, it's modern. It doesn't have that medieval kind of look to it. Like I just wrote this past month on Substack about September the number nine hermit and we made mm-hmm. the hermit persephone right and the idea of september is the month where you start to go back into the earth you find a new rhythm nourish yourself slow down a bit get away from your overbearing mother hers was named demeter <laughs> so <laughs> yeah just a little bit more archetypal i love tarot i think everybody can use tarot just pulling a card in the morning going through your day, coming back, looking at it, seeing how that may be manifested. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage people to develop their own language with the cards. Like I have a little booklet to get people started, right? But you may find that that card means something very specific and different for you. And that's sort of the magic of it. Yeah, so gorgeous. Such a beautiful practice. Amazing. Rachel, thank you so much. If our folks want to find you, tell tell us where to find you on the internet and all the places. Absolutely. So um, totemreadings.com. I'm on Instagram at totemrach. We do Tuesday night Insta lives. Um, Next week I'm doing, uh, I do readings with the deck. I'm doing one for Jessica Zweig of the Simply Be Agency. The week after that is Bonnie Peace, who starred in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. She's a good person. Cool. She's a big anti-cult person. So I'm a huge fan. We try and have interesting conversations, look at the cards and Again, I always think people learn best when you're not just instructional, when they're seeing it in practice and their anecdotes that they can kind of apply to their own life. And so those are the those are the best ways. And just email me. The website has my email. I'm pretty responsive. It's a company of one one person's. I have a rule, no assistant, no nothing. If it gets that bad, I'll just I'll just scale back. So if you're emailing, <laughs> it is me. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Rachel, thank you so much for being with me for such a great conversation, one that I certainly haven't had on this show before. So just so much good wisdom. And I'm so grateful. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate it. My pleasure. See you again soon. And ta-da, with that, this episode is complete. Thank you so much for joining me here at Your Woo Woo Best Friend. If this episode has resonated with you, please share it with a friend. Go ahead and copy the link and text it so when your bestie goes on her hot girl walk later today or tomorrow, she can listen to this episode too or post it on Instagram and tag us at Your Woo Woo BFF. We'll be back again next week with another episode. I have quite a few more interviews to round out season two and a couple of solo episodes as well. We will be starting season three in January. As always, you are so loved, so appreciated. Have a beautiful, magical rest of your day.